Well, good morning. Again, open up in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We're uh, concluding our second part in our series looking at prayer. Uh, Jesus was the master prayer and he taught his disciples how to pray. And so we're going to look at uh, the second part in our text this morning from last week in Matthew 6 to learn this morning how not to pray. Last week, I want to encourage you and teach you what God's Word says about how to pray, but Jesus also gave a couple of things that he warned us uh, about when it comes to prayer. And, you know, one of my goals as your pastor or as a pastor is that I want to see, I want to help create a place where we are spiritually healthy. Because I believe where there are spiritually healthy people, there's going to be healthy marriages, There's going to be healthy families. Uh, There's going to be healthy neighborhoods, healthy communities, healthy states, healthy nations, healthy uh, countries. And so it all begins here this morning with you and I growing in our faith and, and becoming spiritually healthy. Everything in our life hinges on knowing God's word. If you're a Christian, you can't live without God's word as much as as a human being. You can't live without oxygen. You need God's word in order to see transformation in your life. You need God's word when you pray. Your prayers become more effective when you begin to pray God's word. You need God's word in order to maintain joy and peace in your life. All these things emanate from knowing God's word. And the Bible makes it clear that faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. And so we want to be students of God's word because it's the truth that sets you free, not opinions. It's the truth that sets you free. And if that's the case, then opinions have the potential of binding us, of holding us back from uh, becoming who God wants us to be. If our faith is not rooted in the word, then our faith can't save us. Our faith can't deliver us or our faith cannot transform us. Everything about our faith emanates from God's word. And and catch this, as a Christian, you have a responsibility to learn. I have a responsibility as a pastor to teach, but you have a responsibility to pick up your cross daily and to follow Christ. See, I never want you to leave here on a Sunday not getting something from God's word. Now, that's a two-part process. One, that means what's being given has to be from God's word, but that means you've got to take it and apply it to your life. So this morning, we're going to dig a little deeper into what Jesus had to say about prayer, because when his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, it revealed what they felt was most important. Of all the questions they could have asked Jesus, they asked him how to pray because they saw something about his prayer life, something about how he carried himself, something about him that they saw was the result of prayer. See, prayer is vital to your spiritual well-being. See, prayer is the means of tearing down strongholds. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, if there are strongholds in your family, if there are strongholds at work, if there are strongholds in our community, the only way we tear them down effectively is by applying the divine word of God in prayer to pull them down. See, when you pray, it's not just your words. But you are being deputized by God himself in order to go out and remove strongholds. Can somebody say amen? amen. 
See, we're not going to legislate righteousness. We've got to pray and remove strongholds in our community, in our city, in our state. See, this is why the enemy wants to keep you from praying. Because he understands that the only thing he can't resist, only thing he can't combat is God's people praying. He understands the power that comes from our prayers and he is powerless to do anything about it. See, last week we learned that when we pray, we are establishing God's kingdom over our needs. And so where we declare God's kingdom, God has complete domain and authority. He has complete power So we need to become people of prayer. We need to be people who are declaring God's kingdom over every area of our life and over every need and situation. So pray when you get up in the morning. Pray during your commute to work. Pray when needs arise. Pray on your commute home from work. Pray every Sunday morning from 9 a.m. to 9.25 with me in the sanctuary before Sunday school begins. Pray at 5, and 5 to 6 p.m. the first Sunday night of the month with me when we get together as a church to pray. Pray. Because no prayer is ever wasted. There's no prayer that God doesn't hear and that doesn't begin to align heaven and earth in order to meet your need. So pray at any point and at any time and at every point in time. Let's read this morning from our text, Matthew chapter 6. Starting with verse 5, verse 5 through 8. And he says this, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's pray. God, give us ears to hear. And eyes to see what you're saying to us this morning. Transform us from your word today. We ask that you would give us the spirit of truth so that we could have understanding what you're trying to communicate to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I was to ask you, and maybe you don't want to raise your hand this morning on this one, but in your mind, raise your hand. How many of you feel inadequate in prayer? How many? No, put your hand down. Don't, no, don't do that. Don't do that. All right, go ahead, raise it. Yes, sometimes you can feel inadequate in prayer, right? Especially when you get around those professional prayers. And, and, I, and I mean that jokingly, but there are just some people who know how to pray, right? There are some people who just know. I mean, they say, let's pray, and all of a sudden, heaven comes down because they are, they've just got this passion for prayer. But sometimes their passion can make you feel slightly inadequate, right? Make you feel a little maybe incompetent when it comes to praying. See, prayer can be intimidating when we're focused on the wrong thing. When we're focused on how somebody else prays and that discourages me from praying, I'm focusing on the wrong thing. I'm not looking at what matters when it comes to pray. So that's why I think Jesus gives us and gives the disciples a template to help them focus on praying. 
See, the efficacy of prayer is not in how we pray, but to whom we pray to. Now, I heard a statistic recently that like a billion people pray every day. There are a billion prayers going up into the sky every day. But the power and the effectiveness of our prayer is not in how often we pray or how we pray, but to whom we pray to. See, this is clearly illustrated uh, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings, when Elijah is having a prayer showdown with 450 prophets of Baal. I love this story because they set up this contest and the winner is the one whose God answers by fire from heaven. And so Elijah being courteous, well, I don't know if he's being courteous, he was outnumbered by 450 prophets of Baal. He says, you guys go first. So they begin to pray, and Elijah's just kicking back. I I wish I had a stool here to kick back. He's just kicking back, just watching them go. They're dancing around like the uh, Lord of uh, the Flies. You remember that story? And they're just chanting and humming, and Elijah lets this go on for a little bit of time. And then he realizes, or their God isn't answering. He said this, he tells them, maybe your God is taking a nap. You know what else he says? Maybe, this is no joke, maybe your God is using the restroom and he can't hear you. This is, read it, 1 Kings chapter 18. And then he goes on to tease him and says, maybe your God's on holiday. He's on vacation. And so you've got to pray louder. So what do they do? They just start yelling louder, praying louder. And he's just sitting back. He's watching them just scream and yell. And they begin to cut themselves and injure themselves in order to try to get the attention of their God. And nothing happens. But then we know that Elijah calls out to God and he prays and God answers by fire and uh, God wins the battle. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying loud. If you're a loud prayer, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand that that's not the reason why God answers prayer. Like it's good to be passionate in prayer. I think the one thing that bothers me, because I'm kind of an outgoing loud person, No way. Yeah. It's hard to imagine, but just extend some uh, imagination with me this morning. Um, I can't stand when people do anything without passion. Like, I'm helping coach one of my boys' baseball team, and there's some kids that walk out in the field like this. I'm like, kid, I'm going to kick you to center field. Like, get excited that you're playing baseball. It's a sport. Show some passion. I just can't stand it when people don't show any passion. But know that when it comes to prayer, passion's not what draws God in. God's not like, oh, you guys are quiet. This guy over here, this lady over here, this is the one I'm listening to. That's not why God answers our prayer. But it's okay to be passionate in prayer. Passion is a good thing. See, your prayers, your prayers are effective because you've been clothed with Jesus' righteousness upon salvation. And James 5.16 says that the righteous man or woman's prayers are effective as they are working. See, it has nothing to do with how loud you pray or how passionate you pray. It's because of whom you're praying to and his righteousness that you've been clothed with. That's what makes your prayers effective. So this morning, we're going to quickly focus on how not to pray. The the how not to pray part of Jesus' lesson so that we can avoid things that may hinder or discourage praying. Now, I see this a lot in this passage. When Jesus says something once, we should listen. When he says something twice, we should pay attention. When he says something three times, uh, wake up. 
He's trying to communicate something to you and I. And three times he says, when you pray. Three times in these, like four verses, he says, when you pray. That's, that's telling us something. He's trying to communicate something to us. What this translates to from the Greek is this. Christians pray. Christians pray. He says, when you pray, and his inference is, as a Christian, you are meant to pray. So Jesus says this three times to get us to understand that prayer is to be a part of our life. Prayer is communicating with God, and communication is crucial in any relationship. If you're not communicating, that relationship is going to break down. See, the the more you speak with someone, the stronger your relationship becomes. See, close friends become like family because we spend time communicating with them. See, the ties of friendship grow stronger with communication. Now, the first instruction that Jesus here gives us in this text about how not to pray is he says, don't don't bring pride into prayer. He says, you need to get rid of your pride when it comes to prayer. He says, the hypocrites, which by the way is code word for the Pharisees. Read in the gospel anytime Jesus uses that word hypocrites, he's usually talking about the Pharisees. So he says, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, they're called out for their public display of piety. See, prayer for them became a a way of gaining the awe and approval of mankind. They like to pray simply to be heard by everyone else. They like to pray in order to show you how holy they are and why they're better than you. So they would go wherever there was crowds and they would get up on, on an elevated platform and begin to pontificate in prayer to demonstrate that you don't know how to pray and God loves them better than you. That was their goal in prayer. See, the presentation, their presentation in prayer didn't encourage other people to pray, but discouraged people with their meaningless and their rehearsed prayers. In fact, in another text, in another incident, in Luke 18, Jesus denounced this type of praying by a Pharisee who stood in the synagogue and used his uh, prayer as a means of condemning sinners and elevating himself. I wonder this morning, maybe not to this extreme example, but any one of us in here, have you ever prayed to tell someone else in the room something? Like I catch myself doing that. But we do that sometimes, right? Like, can you imagine, like, you're sitting at the dinner table and you're, like, praying for the food. And you're like, uh, dear God, we thank you for this food that we're about to eat. And we just pray for Billy. Because as soon as I got home from picking Billy up today, I got an email from this teacher who says he's been very disruptive in class. And so, God, I just pray today that you'd help Billy to be a better student. Bless this food in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> right? Like, have you, I've, I've done that. I'm so guilty of that. Or maybe, you know, God, before we eat this food, I pray that you would help Sally get her math grade up because her teacher emailed me and said she's not turning in her math assignments. So God, help her to stop being so lazy with her homework. Bless this food. Amen. Like, who are you talking to? Because the Pharisees used it to show that they were better than everyone else. So we need to keep in mind that when we pray, it's about communicating with God. And in fact, the entire context of this passage, uh, the verses we read this morning and the verses from last week, it's all about focus. 
It's all about our prayers being focused on the right things. And in this case, about our prayers being communicated to one person. See, prayer is talking with God, not a means of talking about other people. Jesus, understand that Jesus isn't condemning uh, public prayer. He's not saying you should never pray in public. You should never get together corporately. In fact, he, he says the exact opposite of that, that we should come together. As we read last week, the pronouns used were in the plural tense, which means that prayer is meant to be a corporate activity. But if we allow pride to be a motivating factor in our prayer, know that pride neutralizes faith. That if we approach God with arrogance or with pride, that it's almost like our lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. Because we neutralize, we cut off our communication with God when we allow pride to be a motivating factor. See, it's the humility of the man or woman who understands that they have no right to, to talk to God or request anything of him except by his grace. See, that's the only reason why you and I have the access to pray to God is because of the work he's done and his grace that's extended to us. See, confidence and pride is not the same thing. See, in context of prayer, confidence is the result of approaching God because you've been given permission. God says that we can approach his throne in Hebrews chapter 3 with confidence, this throne of grace. See, we have been invited to come to God. And so we, we walk on that confidence that we get to go to God, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything that I can do in prayer, but because he's given me the invitation. But arrogance, pride, on the other hand, assumes that I am important, that God is honored to have me come to him and talk about what needs to be fixed in my life or in this world. See, it assumes my self-importance is the reason why I can approach him and not through humility by his grace that I'm able to. See, this is why Jesus taught last week that we address God as our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, it's not a common word we use today, but it's interpreted in a lot of other places as holy or carries that holy uh, sense. It's the idea of honoring God. And what this tells us about prayer is that if your prayer requests don't honor God, then don't ask for it. Like our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you are so holy, but now I want to ask you to help me cheat. Now I want to ask you to help me get ahead and cut corners. God, help my boss not to see the time that I'm not in office. That God's not going to honor those prayers because those prayers don't honor him. See, if we're asking God for something or to do something that doesn't honor him, then we need to stop praying for it or about it. So your prayers should honor God and magnify his holiness. And this is one reason why some of our prayers won't be answered. It says this in James chapter 4, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You ask in order to honor and glorify yourself, not that I'd be glorified through answering your prayer, but that you'll spend it on your own passions. See, back to the Pharisees, those hypocrites, they were praying to magnify their self-proclaimed awesomeness. 
Prayers was about everybody seeing how amazing they were. And Jesus said this about their prayers. They've got their answers. They've got their reward. I don't need to do anything for them. The applause of people is their reward. See, they exchanged divine provision for human approval. Because they were so compelled by having you say, that was beautiful. You are amazing. Can you teach me how to pray like that? That's what they wanted. And Jesus says, well, as they walk away feeling puffed up, that's their reward. I'm not going to do anything for them because they've got all that they wanted. Why would we exchange divine provision for somebody's approval of our prayer? Why would we give up what God wants to give us just to hear somebody say that was a good job. See, this is why Jesus teaches us to go into our room and to shut the door so that we can focus on him. So that we won't fall into the distraction or temptation to dazzle others who can hear us. This again is not meant to keep us from praying in groups, but to make sure that when we go in prayer together that we're focused on an audience of one. So Jesus said, warned us about approaching prayer pridefully. The second thing we're not to do in prayer is to heap up empty phrases. Using empty phrases, Jesus said. The word translated as empty phrases comes from the Greek word batalageo. And it means babbling, wordiness, much talk without content, uselessness, or useless speaking without distinct expression of purpose. And God's like, don't come in prayer and just babble off words. Don't just come and go from one topic to another topic without a distinct purpose in mind. Our prayers need to be focused when we pray. See, God is also not interested in liturgical repetition that can be said without any passion, heart, or purpose. See, God is looking in prayer to have a conversation with you. He's looking to have a genuine conversation with you so that you can know his heart. See, prayer should be purposeful, focused, and direct. If you find yourself, your mind wandering in prayer or, or falling back, and I do this too, on can recited prayers. You know, Father God, Father God, thank you, Father God. You're so good, Father God. Hallelujah, Father God. I mean, we just fall back on these phrases that we know to fill in that silence. It's okay to be silent. Like, give God a minute to catch up. <laughs> he doesn't need to catch up. But you get what I'm saying. Give uh, yourself some pause time in prayer. Don't, don't fill the voids with canned uh, expressions. If you find yourself doing that, then enter prayer prepared with a list. Come and say, okay, these are the 10 things that are pressing on my heart. These are the prayer requests from my friends this week. And go into prayer and spend focused time praying over each one of those things. God, you see the situation intricately. You see details of this situation in my friend's life that I'm not even aware of. So God, I'm asking you today to intervene in their life. Not maybe the way they want, but the way you know is best. I mean, just begin to pray specifically over your needs. So make a list when you go into pray so that you don't get into the habit of repetitious babbling. See, wordy prayers are not effective prayers. See, God isn't up in heaven watching your word count to say, nope, not yet. No, 
Not yet. Keep going. Keep it coming. Come on. No. Oh, you're getting close. Get, oh, you stopped. You were three words away from me answering you. Why did you stop praying? Like God doesn't have a running ticker word count waiting for you to hit the magical number so that he can start listening and answering your prayers. That's not the way God operates. See, praying for extended periods of time is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but extended periods of time if, if extended periods of time are the result of you repeating prayers over and over, God heard you the first time. Like if you're like, I've got to make this hour deadline in prayer, so we're just going to go back to the beginning. It's only been 15 minutes, so I've got to do this four more times. Listen, God heard you the first time. Time is not to be the measurement in effective prayer. It's you just spending time in prayer with God. Are you following me? There's a difference. Long prayers are good if they're purposeful and if they're not uh, liturgical repetitions. See, in the Jesus' day, the Gentiles believed if they prayed wordy prayers that God would give them what they wanted. Know that God is not holding hostage answers to prayer because you didn't use enough words. The reason why God isn't answering your prayers isn't because you didn't speak enough. See, in fact, Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Like, let's think about that statement for a second, because that bothers me. Like, if you knew what I was going to ask before I asked, why am I spending this time asking you for something that you already knew way before it even came in need in my life to ask you, why would I want to do that? Right? I mean, let's be real this morning. What is the point if God already knows why do we need to pray? See, this statement gives us two profound truths about God and his relationship to us. And we're going to close with this. Number one, God is intimately involved in your life. When it says that he already knows what your needs are before you ask, it's because he's been with you every step of the way. He has been involved in your situation and he's been aware of what's going on. Like that should breed some comfort in your life that before I even go and ask God, he already knows because he's been with me this whole time. See, there's this deceptive mindset to think that these needs in my life are a surprise or these needs in my life are the result of God withdrawing from me. And that's absolutely farce. That's absolutely, completely, totally untrue. He is fully aware of your circumstances and your situations. So then why do we pray if God already knows? Number two, prayer is not informing God, but involving God in our life. See, he's already aware, so we're not informing him of anything that he doesn't already know, but we are involving him in our situation. We're involving him in our matters. See, when life trials and circumstances attempt to isolate and separate you from God, prayer brings you right back to God. See, when our struggles or when our trials or when our difficulties cause us to maybe question why God or where are you, when we humble ourselves and we begin to pray, it brings us right back to God. And involves him in those situations. It keeps God intimately involved in the matters of your life. See, this truth should redeem every issue that may cause you to pray 
by knowing that God is connected with you and knows your needs. You know, the disciples saw Jesus pray. And when they had an opportunity to ask him to teach them something, he says, we want to pray like you. We see your life. It's so different than the religious leaders. It's so different than the Pharisees. It's so different than anybody we've ever seen in our life. We want to know how you pray. Through prayer, we deepen our relationship with him and we tear down strongholds that the enemy uses to keep others bound up. Or the context in this whole teaching that Jesus is on prayer is about focus. Focus on God, not on others. Focus in praying and not in being wordy and teaches us that the, the effectiveness of prayer is not in our style of prayer, but because of faith in and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And most importantly this morning, pray confidently no matter what your needs are, no matter what time, no matter how competent or courageous you feel in, in prayer, just pray because there's never a prayer that's wasted. Amen? Amen? Let's pray this morning. Would you close your eyes?